Hello and welcome back to the history of video games. My name's Ben and I'm joined by the one and only Wes. How you doing, Wes? I'm doing great, man. You put a little uh, extra mustard on that intro there. I appreciate it. I love a little bit of mustard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, man, yeah, I'm just feeling pretty good. I, uh, I've been playing some games. I feel like this week has like flown by. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So it's good and the weekend starts tomorrow we're recording on a friday for once so i'm feeling extra good about that oh yeah for sure yeah and i mean the week's flown by for me too and i might get into talking about what i played this week because part of the reason is that Baldur's gate 3 released on thursday this week a game i've been super excited for mm-hmm. and i do want to say before i start talking about it that i did beat divinity original sin 2 and i'll probably talk oh, about man. the ending to that uh it was down to the wire but like the night before the release i was like oh got it but i'm, I'm so excited to talk about Baldur's gate i'm going to put that on hold for a bit before i talk about the ending to divinity without okay. any spoilers of course but Baldur's gate 3 released i was on a weird schedule that day so i was able to download it right when it released and then play it as soon as i got home from work which was perfect and i've put probably like five hours into it so far so not a ton of time but a decent bit and at least an hour of that was in the character creator as expected <laughs> it's a really good character creator i mean i think there's 11 races or something like that and like so many classes that you can pick so i already had an idea of what i wanted to do going into it which is be a tiefling ranger tiefling are like the demon born people that aren't necessarily evil but they certainly look like demons and one thing I was a little disappointed with, and I've heard other people echo this, it makes sense because there's a lot of like facial animation in the game, but you can't like sculpt and customize values of your face like you can in a RPG like Skyrim or something. You know, you can't raise eyebrow height and cheekbone height and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. But as someone pointed out, I mean, it's a huge game. And instead of Divinity, where you know they dialogue just happens from the isometric view it actually goes into like a in-game cinematic kind of view where you see the person's face the animations look great Uh, i don't think they did mocap i'm not sure like the lip syncs are a tiny bit off but it still looks so believable so i'm willing to give them a little bit of credit for that and there still are i think for most of the races like six different faces you can choose from for feminine and masculine so there's a lot of options there and there's a lot of other stuff you can do to customize it. So I got past that slight disappointment pretty fast. <laughs> the game, as soon as you launch it, also does say, hey, by the way, there's lots of nudity in this game if you toggle nudity in the game. So <laughs> that was an interesting thing, but it is a toggle. So if you're not super, you know, you don't really want that in your in your video game, you can turn it off if you want. But getting it to the actual game, it's the cinematics were great. The intro sequence, I never played any of the early access. I saw some clips from it, but it was um, just a really stunning environment. And even though I haven't played a lot of D&D games uh, and I don't know a ton about the tabletop, it just really is creating this awesome, believable, fun world that obviously is pulling from all of the Dungeons and Dragons stuff that inspired it. And so far, the gameplay's great, very similar to Divinity in a lot of ways, but it is the Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition rule set. So 
the combat and how your turns play out works differently, but it's still a turn-based squad kind of game. And so far, all the companions I've met have great voice acting. Uh, they're really interesting for the most part. So I'm just scratching the surface. They say for like an average first playthrough, they're expecting people to take like 90 hours or something. <laughs> and I can see why. I'm opening every single barrel I see and sometimes finding useful stuff, which is not great because that means I'm going to keep opening every single barrel. Uh, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but I got to get all those lock picks, man. I decided to go sort of a thief kind of route and I'm the one who picks the locks for my party. So it, it's really fun. I'm just playing it single player right now, although I do have plans to hopefully play with another person soon. Yeah, it's a great game. I'm excited. <laughs> cool. Yeah, definitely have to let us know how it progresses over the next, like, I'm assuming 300 hours or something. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it's only gotten good praise from what I can tell. Yeah. Everybody seems to love it. And um, no microtransactions, no predatory schemes going on so you just gotta like get those games while they're there you know while, yeah. while they're here exactly they don't come up that much the one thing i will say is that they have a digital deluxe edition which you know came with some cosmetics but for the pc version if you just bought it while it was still in early access you got all the digital deluxe content so I went ahead and did cool. that, you know, just for like, yeah, I can play around the character customizer in early access and then get some free cosmetics. Why not? <laughs> nice. But yeah, that's pretty much what I've been up to and geez, probably will be up to for quite a while. Uh, what have you mm -hmm. been playing recently after the big Guild Wars fiasco? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I stopped playing Guild Wars 2, as you can imagine. <laughs> and I wanted to play stuff on my unplayed games list, but... um. I don't know. I wanted to play a good game, and most of those games I'm probably not going to like, to be honest. <laughs> right, yeah. So I ended up going back to Rainbow Six for my Tom Clancy bundle I got oh, a long yeah. time ago with like all the Tom Clancy games. And I had previously beaten the first Rainbow Six and its DLC, and so I started playing through the second Rainbow Six game. It's called Rainbow Six Rogue Spear. So it's not Rainbow Six 2, which is confusing, <laughs> but um, that's what it is. And uh, it's really good, but it's pretty much the exact same game as the first game. <laughs> like, they didn't change anything. Uh, it feels pretty much just like a new campaign, which to be honest, I really like the first one. So I'm pretty happy with it. You know, it's the exact same type of game and the combat is still so unique. You do not find combat like this in like any other kind of shooting game. It's very methodical, very slow. You have to clear room by room. You have to plan out your route to make sure that sight lines are good you're in the control of a team of eight people that can be split between one to four different groups and so those other groups can act independently sometimes you give them commands of like when to go and you know like we want to breach a room all at the same time from three different directions like you can do that so it's really cool i really dig the gameplay of Rainbow Six, at least these early ones, because I haven't played any of the new ones, but there's nothing really quite like it. So I really like it. I wish they would have changed some things. Like even the UI is like copy pasted. Oh, <laughs> like no. Even sports <laughs> games change that. I mean, come on. But uh, it's fine. You know, it's totally workable. The only thing that I've noticed 
for sure that I feel like they worked on was the AI pathing feels better in this game. Like people don't get stuck on ladders, which was like one of the main issues I had with the first one. Otherwise, it's pretty much just more of Rainbow Six, which I'm okay with. The story's like decent. It's, I think the first game had better story, but it's still pretty good. And there's some voice acting in it, which is actually really good voice acting. So overall, it's been a very good experience. I think I'm probably two thirds of the way through. So hopefully by next episode, I'll have that wrapped up. And I'm planning on doing the expansion packs for the second game as well. So, and I think there's like three of them this time. So oh, okay. there's quite a few. Nice. So yeah, that's what I've been up to. It's been fun, except for the stealth missions, which are still awful. <laughs> <laughs> Some things don't change, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's nice they at least made <laughs> tiny improvement to the AI, but hey, if it's yeah. uh, for the most part not broke, I guess don't fix it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, it's pretty fun. I really recommend it. There's really nothing quite like it. So yeah, yeah you got to pick it up sometime when it's like 99 cents or something. Definitely, because it does sound a little bit different from the later Rainbow Sixes I played, like uh, Rainbow Six Las Vegas 2, which is still a fantastic game, but you don't have that big of a squad and you can't divide them as far as I know. Gotcha. But yeah, interesting. I'll definitely have to check it out. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I've been up to. But let's talk about what games came out back in 1981 now. Oh, yeah. As the episode title would suggest, we're going to be talking about a new console today, and it's a new handheld gaming system called the Entex Select Game. So, Wes, why don't you tell everybody how this came about? Yeah, sure. So let me start with just a little bit of history about Entex, the company itself. Entex was formed in 1970 in California by Tony Close, Nicholas Carlosi, and Nick Underhill. And the name reportedly comes from Nicholas and Tony just put their initials together for NT and then they're like, uh, what would it make it sound cool? And they threw an X at the end there and then pronounced it Entex. And <laughs> I don't know if that's the true story, but who knows? I mean, people come up with names in weirder ways, I'm sure. But to start off, before they made electronic games, one of the big things they tried to do was sell knockoff Legos that they called lock blocks. Uh, and that didn't nice. go too well for them, I don't think. So they kind of transitioned into the handheld electronic game market. And even though there's nothing huge that we really covered or know them from, I mean, we know they've been doing this for a while. They were doing pretty well because by 1980, they were a $100 million company. So people were definitely buying their stuff. They kind of became known for making a little bit pricier, but high quality electronic games. Um, so I don't know, maybe a lot of parents were like, ah, my kid won't break this one, so I'll buy that. But in <laughs> 1980, they did something interesting when they released a standalone handheld called Space Invader, the lack of an S being very important there, that sold 1.3 million copies. And then they were promptly sued by Midway. Entex uh, <laughs> actually ended up winning this case, though, because the court, I guess, couldn't really find any... It was like such a new medium. They didn't know how to enforce it. And so they were allowed to keep selling their Space Invader handheld game. <laughs> but after that and many other successful single handheld games, they decided to move on to the Select game, which is the second cartridge-based handheld in history after the Milton Bradley Microvision, which we already talked about. And like the Microvision, the handheld itself was kind of just a shell with controls and 
the lights on it and uh, a screen and the actual processing power came from the cartridges. Unlike the Microvision though, it was a VFD display. So it sort of looks like little LEDs behind the screen, uh, similar to some of the red dot handhelds that we've seen before. And since they won the case over the Space Invader handheld, they ended up deciding to package this select game with a cartridge of, or with a version of the Space Invader handheld as a cartridge called Space Invader 2, which as far as I know was basically the, exactly the same game, uh, but I'll be talking about it in the timeline a little later. And they also pressed their luck a bit and released a Pac-Man game, literally just called Pac-Man 2, and Midway sued them again for this. And this time the court ruled in the favor of Midway because Midway had already licensed the game to Coleco. So then Entex was allowed to keep selling the game for a limited amount of time, but any money that it made off of it had to go to Coleco, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, and as I was looking up some of these games, I found that a lot of the later released versions of the Selecta game, so they didn't have to reprint it because it advertised the Pac-Man cartridge on it. They just put like black labels over it. So there's just sections of the box that are like taped over on the actual ones that they sold because they didn't feel like reprinting it to get rid of Pac-Man once they weren't allowed to sell it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But yeah, that's um, basically how the early history of Entex and what led them to the Selecta game. Did you have any extra info about how it worked, Ben? Yeah, so some of the specs for it, especially comparing it to the Microvision, which is the only other cartridge-based handheld on the market, I thought was kind of interesting. So the Select game uses a 7x16 VFD display. 7x16 is not a lot of uh, places for dots to be. <laughs> so, but compared to the Microvision, the Microvision had a 16x16 display, so it it was not as good as the Microvision. And I don't know about you, Wes, but the Microvision wasn't exactly a looker. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a little uh, concerned about that. However, unlike the Microvision, which was only on or off pretty much for each of the pixels, in this case, since they're using these vacuum fluorescent displays, the dots that it can display can be an either red or blue, which for videos, the blue looks like white to me, but <clears throat> at least it's more than just one color so <laughs> um there's two colors and off i guess are your options there and then uh the only other thing i wanted to mention really because there's no cpu inside the actual main body of the console it's only inside each of the cartridges and all those will be different depending on what the needs are for that game so there's not really too much else to say about it but i did want to mention quick it Originally sold for I think fifty, what was it fifty four ninety nine? Which in today's money is about one hundred eighty dollars, which um, I think is still a little pricey <laughs> for yeah. what it is. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is we don't have an exact month date for this console. I couldn't find one, but we do know that the whole lawsuit regarding Pac-Man was pretty much settled by the end of the year and knowing how slow the legal process is, I'm <laughs> assuming this came out sometime early in the year. So that legal process had time to, to happen because it, it was kind of resolved before Christmas season. So that's why we're putting it in March here with some other games. And uh, I think that's it. The only thing I forgot is um, 
I couldn't find any specific information about the number of sound channels, but from what I can tell, there's one. And I'm not sure what type, but Wes, maybe you can tell us more about that in the timeline. With that being said, let's get into the games, because there's a fair amount of them, and some of them have uh, some big licensing things going on, like <laughs> Pac-Man and Space Invader. So let's take a look. everybody welcome back let's jump right into our timeline we're going to start things off with some computer honorable mentions uh, the first one that we have is red alert by broderbund for the apple II, and it's a not the uh, <laughs> red alert strategy game that's going to be coming out much much later but it's a fast-paced missile command space invaders hybrid kind of game basically it's space invaders but you're shooting with a like splash damage aoe kind of attack and you controlled a reticule also had an occasional secondary attack, and it did run pretty well for an Apple II game. Yep, and then moving on, we've got Robot War by Muse Software and Silas Warner. He actually made this game back in 1977 Whoa. for either Terminal or, or the Play-Doh system, I forget. But now he ported it under Muse Software to the Apple II. And it's basically a battle bots game where you design robots and then they fight each other <laughs> using coded programming language that was built just for the game that you can code yourself. It actually had really high praise from computer enthusiasts at the time who would try to battle each other for the best bot creation that they could make. <laughs> so um, it actually was fairly popular, despite the fact you just watch the battles play out. Yeah, uh, very unique, though, for sure. And then also we wanted to mention all the other 1981 Sword Thrust modules, uh, which was the commercial version, basically, of the Eamon system. So we had Sword Thrust 2, The Vampire Caves, Sword Thrust 3, Kidnapper's Cove, Sword Thrust 4, The Case of the Sultan's Pearl, and Sword Thrust 5, The Green Plague. They got some good names, though. I'll give it that. They do, for sure. <laughs> All right, moving on, we've got Tank's Own 2000 version 2.0 by Wayne Westmoreland. It's surprisingly an accurate clone of Battlezone, the old Atari-like wireframe tank game, mm -hmm. uh, I think from last year. And it even had digitized voice in this one. It was really good for the TRS-80, honestly, even if it did run a little slowly. 
And then the last computer honorable mention for now, we've got Dragons of Hong Kong by Robert LaFour. It's the last of his interaction fiction games that he ever makes, and he doesn't ever make really anything of note again. So this is kind of the last time we'll see of him. Oh. His interaction fictions were really cool, and I'm glad we took a look at quite a few of them. This one's not quite as good as His Majesty's Ship Impetuous, which I believe you covered, Wes, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's a little sad because I think this whole uh, series of games has been largely forgotten compared to the larger games like Zork or um, Adventureland. So, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see these kind of text tree systems again until the larger role-playing games of the 90s. Wow. Yeah, it's surprising that that didn't really catch on. I mean, as weird as it was, it's you think it would be appealing, especially at that time. Uh, but we'll have yeah. to wait and see if anything similar comes up in the meantime. All right, but now we are going to talk about the Antex Select a Game. We have all the games that were that they ever released for the Select a Game today. I'm going to review two of them together in a combined review, and that is Space Invader 2 and Pac-Man 2, two of the ones that I uh, talked about earlier. One thing we didn't mention in the special topic is that the Select a Game was two-player for most of its games and it actually had on both sides of it uh different controls so that you could kind of hold it and sit across from each other and it was pretty small but big enough that you could probably fairly comfortably play it with another person like on the couch or something it came packaged with space invader 2 as i mentioned and because it was these cartridges and uh unlike the microvision which sort of the whole front of the uh console and display were changed when you put in a cartridge these cartridges were pretty small they actually came with overlays that you could slide under the screen for each game uh, that gave it a little bit more context like for pac-man the maze was on the overlay and all of these games uh had numbers at the end of them like space invader 2 and pac-man 2 because they were sort of the select game versions of the previous led ones that were uh single games that were released by Entex, but a lot of them were pretty much the same gameplay-wise. But honestly, that's pretty much everything going on with the Select game that we haven't already talked about in our intro today. So let me get right into the gameplay of both of these games and describe them a little bit more. Space Invader 2 was actually a surprisingly accurate version of Space Invaders for a handheld. You have eight enemies that are bouncing around and slowly working their way down to you and they're represented as red dots on the screen and they shoot red dots down at you as they're moving down and you also have two green dots at the bottom of your screen which are your defenders or barriers that absorb one hit before they disappear and you are another green or sorry by green i mean the blue dots that we mentioned before uh, at the bottom and you're shooting upwards at the space invaders so i mean basically exactly like space invaders there's even a blue bonus ship that goes across the top of the screen really fast that you can hit just like the ufo one of the most interesting things about space invader 2 is that because it's on the select game it actually did have a two-player mode and in the two-player mode the other player apparently controlled the invaders i don't know if they controlled how fast it moved down the screen or if they just decided when to shoot uh, but still that's really a version of Space Invaders that we've never seen before, so it's cool seeing that on a handheld. And then Pac-Man 2 has this whole maze on the overlay and, again, plays pretty much exactly like Pac-Man. It doesn't 
look as great uh, because unfortunately you are a blinking red dot and all of the dots that you're going to eat are solid red dots. So it's very hard to figure out where you are at times. Thankfully, the red dots do turn off whenever you eat them, uh, but it still looks pretty confusing. And the ghosts are all blue dots that chase you around. And it does look like there is a way to get the you know equivalent of a power pill in Pac-Man and eat the ghosts. But since you're the blinking red dot and all of the other dots are solid red, I don't know how to tell where they are. I mean, maybe it's just the corners like typical Pac-Man, but I found that a little bit confusing. But that's the basic gameplay. I mean, it's exactly Pac-Man and exactly Space Invaders for these, which is pretty impressive when you consider it's a cartridge game on a handheld. But with that being said, let me get into my ratings now for both these games. For graphics, I gave them a 1.75 out of 10. These are definitely slightly better than the red lines and squares that we've seen on other handhelds. They aren't just like little dots. They're actually kind of ovals that are rounded. And it's weird to say, but that almost gives them a little bit more character. Like they look very unique. And I also really appreciate, even though it's only two colors, having two colors is so much better than only having red, <laughs> you know, before. <laughs> yeah. The only way you could differentiate stuff on this game, on these types of games was blinking or not blinking. And now at least they have red, blue, or blinking or, you know, blue blinking and red blinking. So you, you have four different options of how you can identify stuff, which does make these a lot more clear. Space Invaders honestly feels like you have almost all the visuals you need. It's pretty great. Even though it's just dots, it just looks exactly like Space Invaders with just a little bit less character from the sprites. So I was very impressed by that. And Pac-Man, on the other hand, like I mentioned, is just a bit confusing with only two colors. I don't know if it translates as well. I think you'd get used to it if you played it and you'd be able to figure things out pretty easily. Uh, but it also had this weird effect where since the map is on the overlay, unless you're holding it at like a perfectly straight on angle, the map is sort of askew of the dots, you know, if you're holding it at a bad angle and it's hard to tell when you're in the maze and not in the maze. Uh, so that was a little bit confusing, but overall, you know, they definitely had more charm. And even though the microvision had those sort of graphing calculator style black and white graphics. I do like this, that it actually had a little bit more color to it and it could do a little bit more. Moving on to sounds now, I gave it a 1.75 out of 10. I think you're right, it might have only been one sound channel and most of the games are honestly just a series of beeps. Pac-Man 2, though, actually has the Pac-Man intro theme at the beginning of the game. Uh, so that was the main thing that really impressed me. And uh, I wanted to give it a 1.75 for that. You know, the fact that there's actually music on a handheld, pretty sweet. And it's also uh, probably part of the reason why they were sued, you know, like as if calling your <laughs> yep. game Pac-Man 2 wasn't enough. They uh, literally just put the song from the game, which somebody, you know, composed <laughs> right in there. <laughs> the sounds um, keep the game engaging though, and they aren't so constant that I found them annoying. So I think it does a pretty good job for, you know, considering it's a handheld console. Moving on to gameplay now, I gave it a 2 out of 10 here. I think Space Invader 2 is a perfectly fun and playable version of Space Invaders. 
It's obviously a little bit simplified, but it captures the core gameplay and has the added interest of the two-player mode, which we've never really seen before. Pac-Man 2, on the other hand, is basically Pac-Man, does a pretty good job, just felt a little bit confusing because of the visuals, as I mentioned, but I do really admire their attempt to bring these two types of gameplays very faithfully to a handheld. I just wish, you know, I'm getting greedy, but what if they had three colors of lamps instead of two? <laughs> then we'd really be oh, talking. <laughs> uh, moving on to relevance now, I gave it a six out of 10 here. I mean, the Entex Select game isn't the first cartridge-based handheld, but second isn't bad either, so I think it does get a little bit of relevance there. It is the first two-player cartridge handheld, uh, which is pretty significant, but that's also not going to be a you know super popular <laughs> type of console. Uh, but it's definitely very interesting and uh, pretty relevant in the history of video games. By the way, it's one of those two-player ones where like one person has to go left-handed, I think, on it, or like oh, like the controls right. are part of the console, so you're gonna have to sit. It's gonna have to sit in between you two. You know, it's not like you each have a, your own controller, so it's right. It's not the nicest to play with two players, but it can be done. Yeah, which is maybe why this isn't such a uh, popular format. <laughs> um, and also, just as part of the relevance, I think the version of Space Invaders that it came with, having a unique type of gameplay with two-player mode, uh, is really interesting. And I hope maybe it'll be popular enough that somebody will be like, Ooh, what if we did an arcade game where somebody could control the invaders? Because that would be cool. And so overall, that left me with a 1.75 out of 10. The Entex Select game is super quirky. It's really interesting. Uh, and it has big names like Space Invaders and Pac-Man on it, even though that did kind of get them sued a couple times. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's the first time that we've seen more than one color on a handheld. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ben. Uh, but that's a pretty mm -hmm. welcome change. Uh, and the gameplay stays very true to the games that inspired it. So I think even though it's not the best it really did a pretty good job with what it had uh and i was pretty impressed by it yeah yeah so what are your thoughts on this versus the microvision if you could only pick one what are you picking that's tough i'd have to go back and look at some of the microvision games i think and from what i know of the rest of this game catalog <laughs> i feel like it might not be the best <laughs> Uh, although I, I legitimately was impressed by Space Invader 2 on this. So, I mean, that may be enough if it wasn't $180 today for me to be like, yeah, I'd go with this like game. <laughs> All right. Well, um, the marketing of those big names definitely helps it. But yeah, these other games are not very good. <laughs> so let me go through all the other games that were ever released for the selected game. We've got Baseball 3, which was just a version of the Red Dot Baseball type game that we've seen in individual solo handhelds before, like a handheld specifically designed for baseball. I mean, think like a Mattel Intellivision baseball, or not Intellivision, Mattel handheld baseball with the right. red dots. That's what it is. Because these have overlays, they do look okay, but um, <laughs> like you can tell it's baseball because there's a big baseball field for the overlay, <laughs> but it just played like any other kind of red dot handheld game in a similar fashion we've got football four here which they had already made three football handhelds before this and then this was their fourth and <laughs> it's just like the last three so nothing really new there um i think you could do passing on it just like most of the red dot football games at this time but it's not very good 
We also have pinball, which was barely functional, I thought, to play. It's a pinball game when I tried it. Oh, no. Red Dot pinball is not the best. And it was kind of... The overlay is kind of weird because I think the overlay is a little bit more artistic. So, like, the bumpers and stuff kind of slightly go over more than just the... What should we say? Like, the collision box is not quite the same as uh, the right. actual yeah. uh, artwork. So, it's, it was a little confusing. But then we also had Baseball 4, which I could not figure out for the life of me how it was different from Baseball 3 at all. <laughs> so your guess is as good as mine. I have seen dates for 82 for that one, but I think it's just worth covering it now because we are we can finish the whole console right now. So that's kind of the last one that was ever released for the console. They did advertise two games called Battleship and then another game called Turtles. But as far as we can tell, they were never released or went into production. So they were just advertised. But that's all the games for this whole console um, in its entire history. And Tex eventually, I think because of the lawsuit, they're just like, yeah, we're done with this. You know, we can't make any more money from this. So they just make a new one. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure just don't say Pac-Man, but maybe say Puck-Man or something. And uh, they're off doing their Entex thing again. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll see them again either next year or the, the year after, I forget. But they will be back with more handheld consoles. So that's cool. Yeah, and definitely something we want to keep an eye on. I mean, this one, it's not fantastic, but it's enough to be like, okay, Antex, you have my attention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, but let's move on to some arcade games now, Wes. Yeah. Let's go back to Deco Cassette Land. What are we, what oh, do yeah. Think? We love it there in Deco Cassette Land because despite the fact that it didn't end up being super popular, there's always a bunch of interesting, weird stuff. Uh, the first one we have is an honorable mention. It's Nebula by Data East. It's Deco Cassette number six. And it's another Galaxian type game that, like many of the uh, Deco Cassette games, has great graphics and sounds, but the gameplay wasn't very unique for this one. Yeah, and then the next one is my first review of the day. It's called Astro Fantasia. Fantasia? Why can't I say it? Fantasia? Fantasia? Either way. Astro Fantasia, and it's Deco Cassette number seven, which we do have a firm date of March of 1981. This is another Galaxian type game, but it's got two stages in it, and there's a little bit more going on. It's a little bit more interesting than uh, Nebula was. At least I thought so. So let me try to describe what this game is. It's kind of that Galaxian style, but we've got a perspective where these ships that are attacking you, they're not just chilling at the top. They're kind of coming in from nothing at the top, getting really big, and then kind of passing you, and then making another loop, or kind of getting close to you, and then flying back and getting smaller and smaller and smaller again until they kind of disappear, and then new ones come. It's kind of like this constant wave, and unlike some of the other Galaxian games, where there was like a limited number of ships. This one really feels like you just have to survive a certain number of waves. And even if you didn't shoot any ships down, I think it would still advance to the next stage. But um, I could be wrong. There is a fuel meter, which I don't know how that plays a part into this at all. <laughs> Unlike um, some of the other games like Scramble, which had a really good fuel meter because there was actually a mechanic where you could get fuel back. This one just felt like it was some sort of weird timer and <laughs> it never ran out for me. So maybe it's just kind of a way to gauge bonus points because I know you gain bonus points depending on how much fuel is left. So I'm not sure if getting to the next stage requires you to shoot down a certain number of ships or just survive a certain amount of time. 
but basically yeah for the first part of the stage like stage one you're just kind of trying to take down ships as they kind of spawn in from nothing at you there are a couple like waves within this stage which is kind of just different groups of enemies sometimes they come at you one at a time and then maybe they'll come at you three at a time and then maybe there'll be a an enemy that comes at you and does a slightly different kind of zigzag pattern or something so it kind of switches it up throughout stage one as far as the enemies that you're seeing a lot of them look similar but they act pretty different but then after you complete stage one you go on to stage two which is the boss fight now on stage one you can see the boss in the distance but you can't shoot it yet so in stage two you get closer to it you actually kind of go up into space to meet it in stage one you're kind of I don't know, like, I guess fighting above a city, like a sci-fi city, because it's kind of like, it looks like the trench scene from Star Wars, like there's a trench, hmm. but you're not like moving through the trench, you're just like hovering on top of the trench, <laughs> so it's a little weird. But then on to stage two, you go into space, and then you fight the boss there. And the boss is this big spaceship that kind of, it's very like angular looking it kind of looks like maybe you're looking at it head on which is an interesting perspective and um it has like a basic shape of like a triangle with like kind of wings coming out the sides of the triangle the boss fight is pretty pretty cool it shoots multiple bombs at you and you have to kind of come up to meet it because there's another mechanic in this game which is that you can move the ship vertically up and down a little bit which most Galaxian games, you're stuck at the bottom, right? So this mm -hmm. is kind of a weird mechanic that you don't really have to use at all for stage one. But in stage two, your bullets actually don't reach the boss unless you move up close to it. So you have to move up close to the boss. And then there's like three kind of weak points that you have to hit on the ship, one right in the middle, and then both of the wings. Once you destroy all three of those, the enemy spaceship starts to kind of like swarm down at you, which is super problematic because you moved <laughs> halfway up the screen just to shoot it, like to get in range of it. So it's already close to you. And then it starts to like kind of uh, swarm you and, and just kind of crush you while it's doing that. It's zigzagging back and forth and you have to have one more good shot to hit it right in the middle or to blow up the, the boss. And then it goes back to stage one again. So uh, that's kind of the gameplay loop. After you go back to stage one, it's pretty much the same, except there's more enemies, they're faster, they shoot more. The color palette changes a little bit, like as far as the trench that you're flying over is a different color color palette, which is nice. But um, other than that, it's pretty much the same game. So I think that's pretty much all you need to know about it. The only other cool thing about it is that your spaceship for stage one shoots two bullets at a time, and because of the perspective, they go towards a vanishing point together, the two bullets. So they kind of go up the screen and towards one another until they end in such a way where it feels like there's only one bullet at the end of the trajectory because they kind of both came together. Kind of mm -hmm. like a laser beam blast in a Star Wars game or something would maybe feel today. So that part is pretty cool. It's like two bullets that actually you can aim very well, unlike some of the other games we've played that had two bullets firing so I liked that a lot but in the boss fight um, not only does the speed of your shot slow down dramatically but also you're, you go down to one bullet and I'm not sure if that's because it's trying to imply that the boss character is like a lot farther away so like 
your bullets already came together and then they, they're going down as one, I'm not sure, but it's kind of weird that your shot changes from two bullets to one bullet during the boss fight, yeah. for sure. Alright, but let's get into the ratings. Uh, for gameplay, I ended up giving this a 3.25 out of 10. I liked it. I didn't think it was like the most amazing thing, but I liked the boss fight. It was challenging but doable. Same thing with stage one, challenging but doable. I really liked having two bullets on my ship. I mean, I know you've not had the best experience with that, but I just kind of <laughs> like it better than one. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, the fire rate is definitely faster than some other games. You can probably have maybe three or four shots on screen at a time. And the uh, Honestly, they kind of come together right towards the top of their trajectory and then disappear. So they don't go to the top of the screen. And that's why it encourages you to kind of move the ship upward on the screen vertically to fire further. But you don't really have to do that in stage one because the enemies come to you. So it was not something I ever really did. But uh, it does make your firing speed faster because as soon as those bullets disappear, you can fire new ones. And this can be... a pretty much a constant stream in the emulation i could just hold down the button and it would fire as fast as it could so that was <laughs> pretty nice so i liked the gameplay of it i thought the difficulty was right the uh design of this of the ships and how they kind of came in from nothing we've seen it before but i thought it was done well and then the boss fight felt pretty good so i liked it even though there were some mechanics that i was kind of confused about such as the fuel meter which didn't really make any sense to me and um also the vertical kind of going up the screen i maybe you could say it, there's it's a way to make the boss fight harder because you're closer to it and so when it fires at you you have less time to react and they wanted to force that but you could have just made the enemy boss fight character just fire faster too i i think <laughs> i don't know it felt like a weird mechanic that wasn't fully uh used to its potential i think hmm. so um even though it had those problems i still thought the core gameplay was pretty fun for graphics i gave that a 3.25 as well it's not as good as terranian or some other deco cassette games that we've seen i think it's just because even though everything is a multicolored sprite which i appreciate there's not like as much fidelity in this as some of those other games there's no shading right some of the explosion animations are quite strange where they're just like kind of looks like a wormhole develops where the spaceship was but because the graphics are so limited it kind of looks just like a silly string popped into view or something that's <laughs> <laughs> a little weird luckily when your ship explodes there is a nice explosion animation for that and same thing when the boss character explodes i thought it was pretty good but also i think just in general the characters are you know the the generic spaceship characters in stage one are just kind of boring UFOs that aren't super memorable. Even the boss fight itself, it's got an interesting shape to it, but I didn't think it had a lot of character to it. So I think everything, everything's good, but just nothing really stood out to me. So I ended up right. going 3.25. For sound, I gave that a 2.75. It's kind of generic galaxian sound effects i didn't think there was anything too crazy there is some unique effects for like when the boss stage starts and when you boot up the game but like 80 percent, 90 percent of the time that you hear the gameplay it's very generic shooting sound very generic explosion sound 
Sounds like you're playing Galaxian, so I didn't think anything special there. I give it a 4.75 out of 10. I think it's not super relevant, but it was on the Deco cassette. And unlike a lot of the Deco cassette games, I was able to find someone playing this on a real machine. So maybe they were sold a little bit better than some of the other ones, but I don't think this is as unique or as interesting as a lot of the other Deco cassette games. So I didn't want to go super high with it. And overall, I gave it a 3 out of 10. I think it's very solid, but just kind of not that interesting. I think this will be a forgettable one. <laughs> I think maybe my favorite looking part of the whole game is actually your own ship, which has kind of a perspective to it. So it kind of looks like the nose of the ship is a little bit more skinny than you would think because it's in front of the ship and there's that perspective going on, that vanishing point kind of thing going on. And the ship itself gets smaller if you go up the screen, which is kind of cool. But um. The rest of the sprites just weren't that interesting, I thought. Even the boss ship wasn't that interesting, although the mechanics of kind of shooting off one part of it at a time was cool. It just wasn't that interesting to look at. So even the, the mm -hmm. space background was just black with white dots and not some sort of multicolored thing. So uh, I couldn't go too high with it, but I think it is a solid game. Nice. Yeah, I mean, another solid entry for the Deco cassette, even if it isn't uh, blowing us away necessarily. I'm surprised how many games they're making for this, you know? <laughs> I'm surprised as well. I mean, I think there was only two that were released last year, and now we're already on number seven, I think. So, and it's only March. Yeah. <laughs> they're pumping them out. <laughs> All right. But with that in mind, why don't we take a look at the second game I reviewed today? It is. Deco cassette uh, number eight, The Tower. And again, we do know for sure that this one came out in March. And this is a Crazy Climber clone, which, uh, if you don't remember, was by Nishibutsu. And it's just a. One of my favorite games last year. Yeah, yeah. Very unique one. Very weird. Uh, I think we maybe have seen some clones for it, but this one is different enough that we definitely want to take a look at it. And Crazy Climber, you're climbing a building like a crazy person. And that's basically what you're doing in the tower, too. Uh, you're climbing a... Well, actually, you know what? I was going to say you're climbing a building with two joysticks. But because this is on the Deco cassette system, I'm not too sure how it controlled. Because this was basically switched into another cabinet to then play this game. In the original Crazy Climber, you kind of climbed with two joysticks as if you're removing your left and right arm. Not too sure how it worked on this, to be honest. Maybe they did find some way if it was a two-player cabinet to get that to work out. But either way, you are climbing and dodging obstacles that are being thrown out of windows. Uh, you can't climb into windows when they close, and all the windows are sort of in a state of opening and closing constantly. 
There is a bird that shoots fireballs at you occasionally. There's a gorilla that tries to knock you off. All stuff that was in Crazy Climber. And just like in Crazy Climber, you have to grab onto the helicopter once you reach the top of the building to win the stage. Unlike Crazy Climber, though, it seems like there is only one type of level layout. Uh, Crazy Climber had a different building that you climbed afterwards that uh, had more narrow sections with less maneuverability. Uh, but this seems like it only has one. But on the later stages, the building can randomly, I think, or maybe it's at set points, uh, catch fire, <laughs> which the fire sort of chases you up the screen as you climb. And if you don't climb fast enough, the fire hits you. And then also, uh, I think if you fall down into it, like there's a chance sometimes when you get hit some hit with something in these games that you slide down a little bit instead of just falling off and losing a life. But if you got hit by something and slid down in this, then you would hit the fire and immediately die. Uh, so that adds some extra risk there, and then it just goes away after a period of time. And there's also an earthquake, which I also don't think was in Crazy Climber. And the earthquake <laughs> seems like it just makes the screen shaky. Uh, it was really jittery, <laughs> and just it's more of a disorienting thing than actually affecting your character's movement at all. Uh, but those are the two main differences I noticed, and obviously there's some visual and sound differences. Uh, but other than that, the general gameplay is pretty similar for the tower compared to Crazy Climbers. So I'm just going to get into my ratings and talk about the game a little bit more and what does make it unique. For graphics, I gave it a 3.25 out of 10. Thankfully, it has nice visuals that are unique and different than Crazy Climbers. The colors are a little bit more flat, a little bit less kind of quote unquote shading that Crazy Climber had, but it's still a nice variety of color on the screen. Your character, instead of being some dude in a green shirt, is now a woman in a red dress with pigtails <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> and the sprite is actually pretty well detailed because video game nerds, especially in the 80s, were weird. When you fall down, her dress comes up and you can see she's wearing white underwear. I don't know why they had to do that, but you know, it's in there, whether you want the detail or not. Uh, the windows, unfortunately, don't have the sort of like white shine mark on them that Crazy Climber did, uh, so they look a little bit more flat, uh, but the people throwing stuff out of the windows still looks great. Uh, they kind of look like they're toddlers or something, and they're just throwing chairs out of windows. I don't know what's going on, but I love it. It's super wacky. And all the stuff that they throw looks good, too. I mean, there's desks, there's shards of glass, there's, like, balls <laughs> and stuff. It's crazy. They throw a lot of weird stuff at you as you're climbing. And then the gorilla, which is also in this one, uh, we mentioned before that the crazy climber gorilla was pure nightmare fuel with his, I think the eyes is really what does it on him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this one is a little bit nicer looking. Less crazy eyes, but still has some really good details, still some good moot movement where he moves his arm side to side to like he's pounding his chest to knock you off uh, so that looks pretty good and the uh, bird that shot fire also looked slightly different uh, but still pretty good so overall it looked you know in general did copy the look but it made some differences uh, during the fire section the screen blinked orange and red and there was also the fire at the bottom of the screen which looked pretty good although it sort of it didn't spread and move around much. It kind of just like followed you in a line up whenever you moved. So that was a little weird, but that looked pretty good. Uh, there was also wind too, I think at some point, because there was sections where 
broken glass flew diagonally across the screen. Uh, so they definitely had some unique visual elements in there, but there was still enough stuff that didn't look as good as Crazy Climber, in my opinion. So I didn't want to give it too, too many points. Moving on to sounds, though, I gave it a... Wait, sorry, what did you give it again? A 3.25, which may be inflated because I don't know what you gave it. <laughs> I think I gave it like a 4. Okay, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, I think the helicopter looks better on this one. That's the one thing I'll say. Yes, yeah, I think you're right. The helicopter does look probably better on the tower. Um, the other stuff combined. I'm surprised, Wes. I figured you'd give this like a 7. <laughs> <laughs> I, nobody's got any faith in me after... Uh, Astro Blaster and whatever the other one was. <laughs> That's all good. These ratings mean nothing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I think this looks good. I'm just saying. I'm going to throw out my opinion there. I, I do think it looks good. I just think it doesn't look as good as Crazy Climber. That's fair. That's yeah. Fair. Yeah. The people that throw stuff out the windows, I think they are the ones that look a little demonic in this one. That's true. They do look a little, uh, something's up. Something's wrong with them. You know, I mean, they are throwing chairs out windows, so it kind of tracks. <laughs> all right but let's move on to sounds now i gave it a 2.75 out of 10 here the sounds of the game are pretty good and there's a decent bit of variety but most of the persisting sounds are just beeps and like a slide whistle dive bomb uh sort of noise like galaxian dive bomb kind of noise it gets a little annoying because the climbing noise is also a beep whenever you're moving around but it is broken up by music that comes in and plays uh Another feature I forgot to mention is that a balloon will occasionally float across the screen. And if you catch the balloon, it floats you up uh, the screen a little bit kind of for free. I don't think you can get hit while you're floating, although it takes a very long time for some reason. But there's a nice musical tune when that happens. And there's also sort of, quote unquote, boss music when the enemy bird and the gorilla are around. Uh, so all that sounds pretty good. Um, when the building catches fire, you can also hear a fire truck siren, which is a really nice touch. Unfortunately, though, one of the things that bummed me out about this is there isn't the recorded speech lines that there were in Crazy Climbers. So when you get hit on the head, there's no ouch that uh, was <laughs> yep. very weird and charming in, at least I think, in the original. Uh, but still, they did incorporate a lot of great sounds in there. They had music in there. So overall, it was pretty good. Moving on to gameplay, I gave this a 3 out of 10. Uh, Crazy Climber is, was super innovative with its gameplay, and the tower definitely delivers a lot of the same fun with new additions like the fire and the earthquakes. I don't know if those necessarily work to make the game more fun, but I do feel like it shakes the gameplay up a bit. I just don't think it changes it that much. You know, It didn't innovate on it too much, and I think it really does suffer from not having an alternate building type between levels. I watched somebody play with an invincibility cheat enabled through like 10 levels and they all stay exactly the same except for when the fire shows up and stuff like that. Uh, so that does kind of ruin it in a way. It makes it a little bit less interesting to me, but still it's a fun game with a weird control scheme. I mean, even if they changed nothing but the visuals, it would still be fun because Crazy Climber is so weird. And just dodging all the random stuff that people are throwing out the window 
is kind of ridiculous. And because it's so ridiculous, it makes it fun. Uh, so I enjoyed it, even if it wasn't uh, necessarily a perfect execution of the type of game. Relevance, I gave it a 4.5 out of 10. It's probably the first big clone of Crazy Climber that we've seen that actually does something a little bit different. But it is essentially the same game. It reuses a lot of the same ideas. Uh, and again, the Deco cassette wasn't hugely popular, so I don't think this ended up being too relevant. But overall, that left me with a 3 out of 10 for the tower. It is a Crazy Climber type game that, while it doesn't necessarily reinvent the wheel, it has good graphics does add some gameplay changes, and has solid gameplay itself. Uh, overall, I think Crazy Climber is still better, but the tower was probably a great option for deco cassette owners who were looking to capitalize on the excitement of Crazy Climber without having to buy the whole cabinet. Uh, so I definitely think that makes it a good option. And I appreciate that it's different enough, you know, that it's not just exactly the same thing over again. All right. Yeah. Cool. That is the tower. I'm interested to hear about this next one that you have for us, though, Ben. Yeah, this next one's got a nice title, something that, you know, I'm definitely a fan of. It's called Shark Attack. Oh, yeah. By Pacific Novelty, which is a company I'm not familiar with. I don't think we've seen them too much on the timeline. So maybe this is their first game. I'm not too sure. But uh, Shark Attack is fun because you play the shark. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, that means your goal is to eat divers, and <laughs> that's, the, that's the main gameplay. I had to say really quick, the cabinet art of this, there's nothing really like on the sides of the cabinet, but there is a nice like uh, front mar uh, marquee on it and bezel, and it reminds me of Blue Shark a lot, I'm sure because of the shark theming, but I do like the look of the arcade cabinet quite a lot from the like forward-looking view. The sides, there's nothing, but... From the looking at the screen, it looks pretty cool. Big gold shark on it, big words, shark attack. There's a diver that's kind of like scared of the shark. <laughs> I like it a lot. So I think that might be my favorite cabinet art of 81 so far. There hasn't been oh, too many nice. things that stood out to me, but we'll see. So this game is kind of weird because the gameplay itself is not very good, <laughs> but it kind of... It gets bumped up because of the sound effects. So <laughs> uh, I have to say real quick what the gameplay is and then I'll, I'll say the sound effects. So the gameplay, you're a shark and basically there's four divers on the screen at a time. They are kind of moving around in different patterns trying to harpoon you with harpoon guns. How it kind of works is that they all kind of fire pretty much in sequence it feels like and um, after they fire a harpoon, which is a fairly slow-moving projectile, they won't be able to fire again for some time. So basically, the objective of the game is dodge all the harpoons and then eat somebody, and then dodge the next wave of harpoons <laughs> and then eat somebody. And it's usually not too hard to dodge the harpoons if you're constantly moving and changing your vertical and horizontal position. Um, if you stay still, they will hunt you down and harpoon you, and that's no good. Whenever you get harpooned, you lose a life. If you lose, I think, three lives, game's over. If you eat all four harpooners, I don't know, divers, <laughs> um, <laughs> it goes to the next round, which is just uh, more like four more divers, and there's a different color palette on them, and they will speed up. And um, the game speeds up quite dramatically until basically you can't win anymore. Like after five or six rounds, 
you get a bonus score and it kind of resets the the tracker there's a little tracker for that bonus score but pretty much the divers are just getting faster and faster and faster and they get super fast towards the end rounds <laughs> to make it like in the beginning you're faster than the divers but towards the end they're faster than you so it's hard to dodge them also when you eat somebody you can't move for a second and um there's like a little eating animation where like a blood red splatter replaces the diver which is cool but um it does suck that it kind of like you have to you have to stop moving for a second to do that so that is a little problematic in the later rounds but what makes this game really fun i think is the sound effects which there's two parts to the sound effects there's the horrible part of the sound effects which is that pretty much like the background noise is like weird pinball or pongy sound effects they don't sound good at all. They sound like something from like a game from 78, 79. But then you've got a actual like cassette player, which is playing an audio track. It's like an, you know, it's an audio track that's playing like inside the cabinet. <laughs> and that is really cool. It plays a screaming sound effect whenever you eat somebody. <laughs> so it must be hooked up to game logic somehow. I'm not sure totally how it works, but I don't think it's just. Like, I think there's a little bit more to the sound than just uh, traditional arcade cabinet setup. So it plays a screaming sound effect, which is actually like a recorded voice of like three people screaming. <laughs> <laughs> and that sounds really good and it's really quite fun to the game. And then there's a, I don't know what you would describe it, just somebody talking in the background. It's almost sounds, to me, kind of sounds like an old radio program like danger warning don't go into the water kind of kind oh, of sure. sounds i like don't know news, exactly news what it's saying maybe. yeah i'm not sure exactly what it's saying but um it's something along those lines honestly that background voice gets cut out whenever somebody screams <laughs> so it's constantly getting cut in and out but <laughs> at least it keeps the game it, it kind of adds to the tension of the game a little bit and um fills in all those empty spaces where otherwise there would be no sound so I love the addition of the voice effects and they are, they do sound really good. They sound like old timey radio or something like they don't sound digitized really much at all. So the quality of that audio voiceover is really good. But then of course you also have like Pong sounds from 78 or something. <laughs> so it's a mix, but I think it really adds to the tension of the game a lot, honestly, and just the overall atmosphere of the game. So I think that's pretty much all you need to know about it. Let me get into my ratings. Let's start with sound. I gave it a 3 out of 10 for sound. It was hard because I loved the voiceover effects, but then the background sounds are just really bad. Um, I don't really know what it would be <laughs> for underwater fighting, but um, <laughs> I don't know. It, it kind of gets on my nerves a little bit, the background. Maybe they were going for a heartbeat or something because it's kind of this constant... Uh, like almost banging of a drum it feels like or something but it just doesn't work for me for the background but luckily the voiceover carries it and sounds amazing and that part i could listen to all the time just people screaming i like I, I love it for the shark attack game <laughs> so the two cancel each other out and i go for a three out of ten Where'd you go? Oh, deeper. Oh, I can't see 
For gameplay, I ended up giving it a three and a half out of 10. It's pretty fun. I just think it gets too hard too fast. There's not really like any counter to just the enemy speeding up to a point that's kind of unreasonable. Like there's, I feel like there's nothing I can really do about it. It's like you put in a quarter and you're going to get two minutes of really fun shark eating before it just like, it's like you've had enough. Now it's impossible and there's nothing you can do about it. I just, I don't know. It didn't feel like a game that I could get better at skill wise to really go further. It just felt like it, it kind of got to an impossible area. So I wish there was maybe like uh, some sort of like charge button or something or something to kind of dodge some harpoons or something. But as, as it stands, I just think you're a little too open when four divers spawn at you and they move super fast and they shoot super accurately. There's just not too much you can do, but it does start easy. So at least the beginning of the game is quite fun and enjoyable. Even if it is a little repetitive, just the fact that we don't see a lot of shark eating games. I think most shark games, you're the one trying to shoot the shark. Yeah. So the fact that you're playing as the shark is pretty fun. I really enjoyed it. So I did enjoy the game and gave it a three and a half out of 10, which is pretty high for, for me anyway. For graphics, this was kind of hard because I think the shark itself doesn't look very good. It's one color. It does have animation as to the mouth opening and closing. I just don't think it looks that good. But then the, the divers look really good, I think. They are multicolored. You can tell that they've got like a harpoon gun. You can tell that they've got uh, oxygen on their backs, that they're wearing a mask even, or a helmet. And I love the animation of you eat somebody and they turn into a blood splatter. It's a multi-animation blood splatter that kind of starts large and then gets smaller, like it's fading into the ocean. So I do like some of the graphics of this game, but they're definitely not all great. <laughs> I, you know, most of the background is just blank because there's not even a starry sky you can put in here. It's just the ocean and they didn't do any kelp or anything like that. So <laughs> it's just pretty much dark blue in the background. A single color sprite for the shark, which is not good, but then the divers look great. So I couldn't go too high. I just gave it a three out of 10 for graphics. And then relevance, I, I went seven out of 10. I mean, how often do we get to play as the shark? I thought this game um, is kind of something special, something unique. It's not space themed. <laughs> it was a nice change of pace. And I don't know much about Pacific novelty, but I believe there are a few more big hitting games in their catalog. So I wanted to give it some points for being like their first uh, breakout game here. Uh, they might have done like clones before, but this is the first unique one that I'm aware of. And overall, I gave it a 3.25 out of 10. Pretty fun, uh, pretty solid. It's got its ups and downs. I wish the shark looked better since you're playing as the shark. You know, you think that would be the most detailed thing, but it's not. Um, and the sound effects, like the the Pong sound effects, I, I don't want them, but then the voiceover sound effects are awesome and we'll definitely play you that. So it was a mix of, of things, but overall I enjoyed it just for the fresh of breath air for it not being a space game pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it's not all the time that we get a shark game uh, and it's a super fun theming to play around in. And like you said, yeah, nice break from <laughs> all the space games. So cool. Yeah, even if it wasn't, you know, uh, home run or anything it's always good to see a shark game especially when you're the shark yeah very cool all right but that will do it for us today so i hope you guys enjoyed today's episode 
we looked at the new console. It's the first new console of 1981 for us. The Entex Selecta game. The second portable console, cartridge-based console, in all of the history of video games. So kind of a big one, but we did cover every game that's ever going to be released for it all in today's episode. <laughs> yeah. So, um, maybe not the best. But then we did a bunch of really cool arcade games. I did Astro Fantasia. Why can't I not say that? Astro Fantasia, which was Deco Cassette number seven, which was a pretty cool Galaxian type game that played with perspective and had a boss fight. West did The Tower, which was kind of a take on Crazy Climber. And then I did Shark Attack by Pacific Novelty, which is honestly a pretty darn cool shark game where you played as the shark and ate people. So that's what <laughs> I want from my shark games. Oh, yeah. And so if you want to check out some of the things that we referenced in this episode, like the uh, Microvision by Milton Bradley or the other shark games that we've covered, make sure to check out our website where we've got tons of information of everything we've taken a look at before. Also make sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm going to keep calling it Twitter for now, uh, where we post announcements. And if you have any questions, feel free to send us an email. And with that, we'll catch you next time. See you all next time.